right, well, go ahead and grab a seat, and as you do, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. By the way, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. It is wonderful to be with you today on this beautiful, beautiful weekend, right, where winter has gone away for a day or two, and we're excited about it. Um, uh, I, I see many people who did yard work yesterday and just a little, little shiny today. And, um, and I'm a little shiny myself, and I thank God for that. So, um, Galatians, we're in chapter 5 today. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open those up and follow along. We have been talking all series long. We've been going through this book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, the, the churches and the believers in Jesus there in this region of Galatia. And it's amazing how he keeps coming back to grace. And he, he really is identifying this thing in our hearts that we like to sip grace from the Lord like in teacups. And then we, we leave it behind and we go over and we rebuild these religious systems. We rebuild these structures of law and that's how we live. And, and he just wants to remind us that, that, that grace is not doled out by the Lord in teacups. It's like an ocean washing over us and, um, and loud noises happen all the time. And, um, but uh, th this idea of, of just God's love, God's grace, God's favor, it's undeserved and it's unconditional and it's without limit. And we really can't get our minds around it. Uh, we always go back to slavery. Somehow we just, we start in grace, we start in freedom, we go back to slavery. And by the way, in this part of the year, graduations are happening all around us. So we celebrate graduates. Uh, for those who have gone through, you know, all of their years of elementary, junior high, high school, graduated, congratulations uh, to you. For those who have even gone through, finished out undergrad, or maybe you're finishing a graduate degree this spring, congratulations to you. One of the things that's pretty interesting is if for those who finish their undergraduate uh, career, they finish and, and there's this sense of freedom that now I don't have any schoolwork to bother me. I don't have any finals that I've got to stress over. In fact, they look ahead to September and they go every September in the course of my whole life. I've always known what September held. It's, it's classes and more classwork. And now they look ahead at September and they go, it's, I'm free. I'm totally free. I'm free from school. And now you are free to work forever and ever, the whole rest of your life. And, and this, this, this challenge, right, in our own hearts is like we move from freedom to slavery so very quickly. And this is what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to wrestle with as he begins chapter 5, starting in verse 1. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so we're going to unpack this amazing freedom we have because of Jesus and in Jesus. And remember, this is freedom that, that God provides for us. It's freedom from our sin and from guilt and from shame. And then it's also freedom from the law, from the religious practices that, that we as humans like to build. And, and it's free in terms of there's this empowerment that comes so that we can actually live and enjoy a life of grace, so we can live and enjoy a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, when we talk about freedom and we talk about limitless grace and we talk about unconditional love, very often what happens is that people get a little nervous in their hearts. 
they get a little nervous, like, oh, I don't know if we can really talk about limitless grace, because if we talk about limitless grace, or if we talk about unconditional love, then I'm just afraid that I'm going to be, you know, so free that I'll cast off all restraint, and I'll just go live this sin-soaked kind of a life. And, and, and I get, like, I kind of understand that there's a, there's a little insecurity there, a little nervousness about that. But let me tell you a couple of very, very true truths. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm so redundant. The, the true truth is this, that you do not earn God's love through your obedience. God loves you perfectly right now. So, so you don't pursue or obedience in order to earn God's love. And you don't not disobey God for fear that he will love you less. There's a lot of negatives in that statement, but it's, but it's true that, that we don't do obedience or disobedience with any kind of, of a view that somehow this will get me more of God's love and this will get me less of God's love because God has settled the issue of his love for you. He loves you. And if you, if you need an assurance of the fact that God loves you, please look no further than the cross of Calvary because that's where God settles the issue of his love for you where as he comes in the form of a man, Jesus, he puts himself on the cross. He takes the penalty for sin and so that we can have this unconditional grace, this limitless love from our heavenly father. It's all because of the person of Jesus. So that's the beautiful thing that Paul's talking about here. Now we're free. But there are other things to keep in mind Paul's going to go into when it comes to enjoying God's favor, his grace, and enjoying our freedom in Christ. Tim Keller actually says that it's the grace of Christ and the gospel of grace that actually obliterates our desire to go into that sin-soaked life that we might be a little bit afraid of. If we really understood how beautiful his grace is, if we really understood how wonderful this freedom is, we would not desire to abuse it. And by the way, we are still humans living in a fallen world where actions still have consequences. Cause and effect still rules the day in this fallen world. And so let me just tell you, there are some things to keep in mind when it comes to an identifying of how to enjoy our freedom. And I'll just give you two stats. I just read these this week. One is that 1.2 million teenagers died last year uh, because of road accidents, accidents on the road. 1.2 million teenagers. This is tragic reality. And so when you talk about rules and the rules of driving and the rules of engagement on the road, understand there's some restraint there, and you're free to blow off those restraints. You're free to live, you drive carelessly or recklessly. You're free to drive while distracted, trying to text your mom some kind of a recipe. Uh, you're free to, to drive even under the influence of substance. You're, you're free just to not pay attention, right? And yet, we live in a fallen world where there are consequences to the abuse of that freedom where physics and collision still impact our frail human bodies, and, and the result can be tragic. Right? The consequence can be fatal. And so that's just one illustration of how, yes, there's freedom, but there are other considerations as well. The second truth I'll talk about, and, and this is uh, going to hit some of us a little harder than others, but it's the, the fact that 91 teenagers die in America every day because of opioid addiction. 91 teenagers die every day. Op opioids are the, the family that, uh, of, of drugs that... Um, 
I think, you know, Prince passed away from, from his youth, I think fentanyl, I think, and I, I'm actually not super, heroin, I think, is a part of the same family. But it, it's one of those things where you go, not a single one of those 91 teenagers who die every day in America, not a single one, said, I'm going to try this substance so that it will end my life. They all said, oh, this, this seems like it might be fun. Let, let, let me try. And of course, it is fun. And that's what you know, sin promises. Oh, yeah, that, that is fun. And yet, it, it, it promises this kind of freedom, and yet it ends with a, with a, with a tragic consequence. And so there's, there's two different things going on. When Paul's talking about freedom, he, he's talking about the grace and the love that we have because of Jesus Christ. It's like a vertical relationship that we have with God. And friends, that is settled. It's done. It's like that is over. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to strive to perform to please God anymore because that vertical relationship, it's settled. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be horizontal consequences to our behaviors. And I hope that makes sense. We'll kind of drill in a little bit more. Uh, If you're filling in the blanks, the first one is this. Grace empowers us to live the better way. So to enjoy our freedom, to live a deeper, richer, more abundant life, that grace is what actually allows us to live that better way, to live that way in, in which we don't abuse our freedom, but whether we enjoy our freedom and we exist within our freedom, knowing that it's because of the grace that we have in Jesus. Not entitled to it, but grateful for it. And Paul talks about this in another uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's writing to the followers of Jesus in this place called Corinth. It's in uh, Greece. And, and as he's writing to this church in Corinth, these believers in Corinth, there were many things that they were talking about. One of the things that they were talking about is, hey, I'm free in Christ. That means all things are permissible for me. And so Paul addresses that. Uh, he writes, everything is permissible for me, he said, kind of quoting this, this uh, proverb or this saying at the time, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So as those Corinthians are saying, hey, in, in Christ I am free, all things are permissible, notice that Paul doesn't exactly contradict that statement. He's actually kind of inferring that actually, yeah, the grace of God really does cover all these things. And even the, the things that are a bad idea, even the things that, that are going to bring harm. He's like, like, yeah, there's this grace and this freedom that covers all those things. But there are some other considerations he's saying. And the, and the first thing is, how about is this thing I'm contemplating beneficial to me? Yeah, all things might be permissible, but is this actually good? Does it make me a better person? Does it build up my character? The next thing Paul says is, how about this question? Will this thing in practice overpower and dominate me, right? Will I be mastered by this thing? Will I become addicted to this thing? And by the way, we joked about Netflix a, a, a month or so ago. And, and I said from the stage, I said, hey, listen, if you don't have Netflix, don't get it, right? I just, I just kind of put that out because of its addictive properties, right? Because it just has this ability to be a time suck in, in our lives. And, and so here's the, 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 the reality when it comes to addiction. When is the best time to beat addiction, before you ever get addicted, right? Like, like the, the best time to beat addiction is before you ever develop a taste for that thing. And you're like, well, how do I know I even have a taste for that thing? Hey, if you don't have a taste for it, don't start it, right? 
Like, like that's the best time to figure out, oh, how I beat this addiction. Just use coffee, for example. I only know two people who don't like coffee, uh, and that's because we live in Seattle, and it's a requirement. But the... The two people that don't like coffee, I tell them, don't start. Like, they're like, oh, maybe I'll start with a mocha. Don't, don't, look, don't. Right now, you have so much more money and time. Your teeth are far whiter than anyone I know. Like, like you know, just don't, the, the time to beat is before you start it. Okay, so Paul's asking these questions. Is it beneficial for me? Will this thing dominate or overpower me? Next question. Will this thing in practice affect others? In other words, what, what's it going to do to my relationships? Does it enhance them or will this diminish them? Will this in, build up my marriage with my spouse? Does this benefit my children or does this bring a wedge in terms of my relationships? Last question, will this practice show that my body belongs to the Lord? And then Paul continues in this passage. This is where sex and substance and food all come into the equation because the Lord Jesus has redeemed our bodies and our souls by allowing his body to be crucified on the cross in our place. And so we seek to honor him in how we use our bodies with the choices we make and the things we expose ourselves to. And again, I just want to remind you, and this is really the most important thing that I can say in all this when we talk about behavior and what behaviors we go after. It's this. We are not talking about how to make God love you more. He already loves you perfectly. We are not talking about salvation issues, right? Because Paul is actually writing both Galatians and Corinthians. He's writing to people who are already following Jesus. He's writing to people who are already saved. They're already in the family of God. They're already children of the Lord. So these are not salvation issues. These are not issues of how do you get God to love you. He loves you. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. Like that's not what's at stake. What's at stake is how we use our freedom. What's at stake is how do we enjoy the freedom and the grace that Jesus has provided us to the very fullest extent. And so that's what Paul is going to go after. And remember, he said, you are already free, he says. So don't go back to your shackles. Reject that slave mentality. The next fill-in, grace helps us to steward our freedom. It helps us to be good stewards of the freedom that God has given us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about it this way. This will be on the screen. Obedience to sin sounds like freedom, but it ends up in the most ruthless and dominating slavery there is. So sin will always tempt you with freedom. Oh, try this thing or take this shortcut or cheat on your spouse or whatever it is that that the sin temptation always whispers like freedom. But if you begin to go down that road, it will end up in the most ruthless prison there is. But by contrast, this obedience that we have to Jesus, it might begin like slavery. It might sound like slavery, but it results in the greatest freedom that there is. We begin thinking that, oh man, serving Jesus or trying to obey Jesus, it sounds like such slavery. But as we walk that road, we'll recognize that vistas, whole, you know, just the abundance of life that God has for us, it just opens up into freedom. There was a, a band called the Eagles, classic rock band. Actually, the Eagles are still around, by the way. They're still touring off their first album. And, uh, and they had this song called Desperado. And it's about this guy who won't let anyone love him, and he just wanders around. And he lives that Marlboro Man kind of existence. And 
I Google Marlboro man, <laughs> he's no longer around. But uh, the, uh, the, the lyric is um, freedom, freedom's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. And, and it's a reminder that the prison that we're talking about, that the slavery that we're talking about, it's completely within. In the same way, the freedom that we're talking about, this grace and this freedom that is opened up to us, it's, it's within. And so we get to choose at which direction that we go. And, and so this reminder that as we choose obedience to, to uh, Jesus, it, it might sound like serving him would be like a form of slavery, but it opens up this incredible connection to the Lord and freedom. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you've been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, right? This is where we're to live. It's the posture of our lives. But don't use your freedom to satisfy or indulge your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now, take a look at that verse. Paul is assuming a few things. He's saying you could use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. You could. But he says, don't, but don't do that. Right? That, that's not the best way to go. There's a better use of your freedom. And so that means you and I have a choice. We can em- employ the muscle of choice to choose a better road here. And the better road that Paul's saying is let your freedom, use your freedom, serve one another in love. And that's how we steward our freedom. Part of the problem that we have in our American culture is this. And you might want to write this down. It's that we have reduced freedom to mean no restraints. To us, we think freedom means no restraints, right? No guardrails. I never have to say no to myself. It's whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it, how much, however much I want. And that's what we think freedom means, but, but the truth of the matter is freedom simply means I get to choose my own restraints. I'll give you an analogy. When kids grow up, and this was true in my life, maybe it was true in yours, when kids grow up, they they tend to think the very best possible food they could put in their bodies is fast food, right? And so anytime, you know, growing up, if my parents would ask me, hey, where do you want to go get a bite to eat? Where do you want to go for lunch or dinner? I would always say a fast food restaurant. And just because I loved fast food, loved it. My kids, same thing. When they were young, they would just choose fast food all the time. It's like when you're a kid, the, the, the connection between how fast it is, the amount of toys that come with it, how much grease drips down your elbows as you're eating it, like all these things mean that it's a good thing, right? And so as your kid, you're like, oh, I love fast food. I want the fries. Just shove them in my mouth and just wipe up the grease. Oh, it's wonderful, you know. Now, as an adult, which most of us are, You can choose to have fast food every day, three meals a day, four meals a day, five meals a day. There's no restraints on how much fast food you can ingest. Like, isn't that awesome? You got that freedom. Woo! Now, how many of you do that? None of us, right? We don't choose. Why? There's actually a movie about this, the supersized guy, right, where he, he, he just chose fast food every day, three meals a day or, you know, with dessert and, you know, snacks thrown in, like he, all that stuff. And he, and he was miserable, right? He couldn't live. He, he, he just, like, all the health indicators just, you know, fell through the floor because he just had no 
restraint, this idea that, that no restraint means freedom, no, no, that's, that's, that's erroneous. It's what restraints do you build into your life? How do you steward your freedom to put the right restraints in? By the way, the, the scripture talks about indulging your sinful nature. The actual Greek, it, it talks about giving opportunity to indulge your sinful nature. It actually doesn't use the word satisfy your sinful nature. Why? Because your sinful nature will never be satisfied. If you begin down a road of trying to satisfy your sinful nature, you will never be satisfied because it never can. If you, if you try to feed a lust, it does not get satiated. It just grows. And so this idea of no restraints, it's an erroneous idea. So how do we know where best to put the restraints? Paul gives us the answer. The answer is God's spirit living within us. See, grace lets God's spirit lead. God's spirit leads our lives. And so Paul continues in verse 16. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. I love this passage. As you take a look at that, you'll see that there is a challenge that Paul's bringing. And you probably have heard this old proverb. It's just this. Practice makes perfect. And I know some people have tried to like mess with that old, old saying. And so I've heard people teach, you know, no, it's, it's perfect practice makes perfect. Or perfect practice makes permanent. And honestly, all these other things, they just make it longer and more confusing and less helpful. So practice makes perfect. And, and here's what it means. Whatever you practice, you become perfect at. So if you practice poorly, you will become perfect at doing that thing poorly. Right? Whatever it is. So let's just say you want to get good at serving in tennis, but you practice with bad form. You will become perfect at serving in tennis with bad form. Let's say you, you want to become uh, a great soccer player, and so you practice playing soccer, but you do it lazily. You practice lazy. You practice flopping. So what you will become good at is just what everybody does in soccer, right? You'll just, you'll flop and be lazy, and that'll, I mean, you'll probably get a, a good, you know, contract. I don't know. But... Uh, but the point is, right, whatever you practice and however you practice it, you become perfect at that. So what's Paul saying in this? He's saying you've got a sin nature and you've got the Holy Spirit. What are you going to practice? Which direction are you going to go? A couple of auxiliary truths here. The first is it's not fake it till you make it. It's do it till you become it. That you practice this, you practice behavior, you practice letting the Holy Spirit lead, you practice enjoying the grace and the freedom you have in Christ, but allowing him to guide your life, and, and you do this again and again and again. It's not fake it till you make it, friends. It's simply do it until that is who you are, until that is your character, that is your default. Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours. 
He talks about it takes 10,000 hours to, to become an expert or to have a, develop an expertise in a certain area. And here's what's interesting to me. It's we are always practicing who we're becoming. We're always practicing who we are becoming. You're always logging hours into your practice. And so who is it? What, what is it that you are practicing toward? I'll give you an example. Some of you have spent 10,000 hours practicing complaining. And you're really good at it. You, you, are, you, are phenom- you are like Olympic quality complainer. Like, it's amazing how good you are, how quickly you can do it, how your mind can just discern. Even if everything looks right, you will find the one thing that is worthy of complaining about. And the people around you, they're just like, she did it again. She, she found that one thing. I thought I served her the perfect meal. Nope, that one she found. I, it was the napkin that wasn't folded perfectly. So, you know... And, and they did, it's not a surprise. Why? Because you've practiced. And your whole life is practiced. And you put hours after hours into complaining. And so you're amazing at it. You know, the opposite's true for some of you. Some of you are just so grateful. You're, you're entitled to nothing. And yet you are so supremely thankful for everything. Because you've spent 10,000 hours being grateful to the Lord for blessing after blessing after blessing. And the people in your life. They are not surprised that you can find even more things to be thankful about. Why? Because it's your default. It's because you've been practicing it again and again and again. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You've got this sin nature. You've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. What are you going to practice? Which way are you going to go? And Paul's saying, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Because when the Holy Spirit is leading you, when the Holy Spirit is guiding your thoughts, when the Holy Spirit is guiding your actions, there are some incredible benefits that come to you and to others, but, but he's talking about to you. In Romans 8, 6, it's one of my favorite passages in all scripture. He says, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Isn't that what everyone wants? Full life and peace, and and this comes by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, to lead our thinking, to guide our our actions. And then he talks about that they're at war, right? That that there's this battle going on within us, this the sinful desires and what the Holy Spirit desires. And and the analogy that comes to mind in this is like two dogs going at it. And if you're there and you got two dogs going at it in front of you and, and there's this, you know, situation where there's conflict going on, which dog is going to win the fight? The answer is it's the dog that you feed the most. It's the dog that you care for. It's the dog that you train. It's the dog that you nurture. That dog will win the fight. The dog that you don't feed, the dog that you ignore, leave alone, that, that dog will wither. I'm not at all advocating dog fighting, by the way. This has nothing to do, I, I, no, it's abhorrent. I'm, I'm talking about that your sin nature within you is like a dog. And it's going to go after what the Holy Spirit desires in your life. So don't feed it. Ignore it, right? It's barking, it's yammering, it's, it's whining, whatever. It's, just leave it alone and instead lean into what the Holy Spirit is developing within you. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your thinking, right? And again, practice this. As we're talking about, as Paul says, continue to practice this. Put your 10,000 hours into this. And then in Galatians 5.24, Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. 
right? So this challenge is, as followers of Jesus, we take those sinful passions and desires and we nail them to the cross. We crucify them. And some of us, we know we've done that. We've, we've actually gone through specific prayers where we've done this. We've laid things at the foot of the cross. We've nailed things to the cross metaphorically, spiritually. Some of us have done it at the Good Friday service, literally nailing stuff to the cross. And, and yet, you know, you wake up the next morning and that sinful desire is still there. And you're like, ah, oh, what do I do with it, pastor? Well, nail it to the cross again. Right? Just do it again. And then it comes back again like one of those old cheesy zombie movies or, you know, Fast and the Furious movie like comes out every other year. It's like, ah, it's back again. You know, ah, nail it to the cross again. Like keep doing it again and again and again. Get really good at crucifying your sinful nature. Practice it again and again. Put your 10,000 hours in on this because you will be able to experience the freedom that God has in mind for you, right? And, and by the way, this goes without saying, but I hope you know that this is always a part of the conversation. If you do stumble and you do give in to your sinful nature, don't crucify yourself. Instead, just get back up, dust yourself off. You confess that sin, that stumble to the Lord, and then you crucify that, that desire to the cross and you go and you fight the good fight. Right? You just pick it up and you, and you keep moving forward. Right, The grace that exists from, from the Lord, that is limitless. That covers you. That cleanses you. That is the ocean that you live and swim within. So, so don't feel like that has broken anything. It, it's caused you to stumble and you don't want to do that, so you confess that to the Lord. Get up and you begin to fight the good fight. Okay. Then Paul gives us a picture as to where all this is going, what it is all supposed to look like. He says in Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. All right, let's unpack this for a moment. Let's start with love. Love is the model that Jesus has set for us. And he has done it in such an incredible way because Jesus is the incarnation of love. Jesus is love come in human form. And so we look at Jesus, and if you want to read about him more, you open up to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read about his ministry, his teaching. You read about the way he lived his life. You'll, you'll read this incredible passage where Jesus talks about how we are to turn the other cheek so that if somebody strikes us in one cheek, we would turn and allow them to hit the other cheek. It's it, hard to understand. Where he says, if somebody forces you to carry their pack and walk a mile, that you would go ahead and offer to walk two miles for them. Where, where if somebody wants to, to rob you of your coat, you would actually go ahead and give them the matching shirt as well so they didn't have the whole set. And, 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 and even though they were trying to take it from you, you would gladly give it to them. And, and like these things just blow our minds. Jesus never says, tolerate your enemy. He says, love your enemy. And this is so incredibly difficult for us to do. It's difficult for me to do. It's difficult for all of us to do. And then we look at Jesus, who even as he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed for the very people who were nailing him to that rough wooden beam. And, and he said, Father, forgive them. 
for they don't know what they're doing. We've talked at Overlake about this kind of love, it's outlandish. And that's what we go after. This, this is a ridiculous, over-the-top, makes no sane sense in the reality of our culture, and yet that's what we aspire to. Why? Because Jesus is the one who sets the model for us. And so I would just challenge you today, friends, think about the one person in your life who you'd rather gossip about than pray for. That, that's an enemy for you. That's somebody that Jesus wants you to love. Think about the person that, that you'd get a little delight in your spirit over if you heard that some misfortune happened to them. Jesus wants you to love that person. And it's impossible to do on our own strength, but we can do it with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us as we yield to him, as we allow him to work within our lives. And Paul says this in Galatians 5, 6. Again, same chapter. I love this verse. He says, the only thing that counts. Can you circle that phrase for me? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you're filling in the blanks, the filling is our love must be outlandish. It must be over the top. It can't be just even, tit for tat. It's got to be over the top, outlandish love. The next is joy, Paul says. And, and we've talked before about how joy is not happiness because happiness is based on happenings. Happiness is based on our circumstances. And when our circumstances are good, then our happiness level is high. But joy, joy is our foundation, Joy is what we build our lives upon because joy is based on our identity as children of our Heavenly Father. Joy is based on what Jesus has accomplished for us and the cleansing that we've received and the, and the fact that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And there's this incredible relationship now that we have with God that lasts not only in this lifetime, but for eternity. And so that joy is our bedrock. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, be joyful always. And if you know the Apostle Paul's life, you know that he was joyful always and that he lived in incredibly difficult circumstances. They, he'd go to one town and they would beat him and he would be joyful always. And then he'd go to the next town. They'd throw rocks at his head to kill him and then he would be joyful always. And the next town they'd throw him in prison with Silas. And at midnight you'd find him singing praise songs to the Lord, being joyful always. He was snake bit. He was joyful. He was shipwrecked. He was joyful. He was joy, 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 joy down in his heart. Where? Down in his heart all the time. And I imagine the people like that, that the enemy just gets driven crazy by them, right? Like, like Satan is like, oh, I can't stand Paul because I keep trying to knock him down, but he keeps popping up. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. I could do it for a little while, but he just keeps, you know, it's just joy. And if you're filling in the blanks, that's what our joy is to be. Our joy is unsinkable, right? Because of the work of Jesus, because of our faith and our relationship with him. And then there's peace, and this is what the Spirit's working to produce in us. And the peace we have is, it, it, its source, if you will, is Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is, is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who has come to make peace. And so the gospel in a snapshot is that Jesus, through the cross, has produced 
the ability for us to be at peace with our Heavenly Father, to be at peace with one another, and to be at peace within our own skin. Jesus is the source of our peace. And it really doesn't make sense to a watching world when we have peace, even though we're going through difficulty or challenge or trial or persecution. When, 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 when people look at us and they see that the circumstances of our lives are not happy and yet there's a sense of peace, it doesn't make sense. And the Apostle Paul writes about that in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, he says, which transcends all understanding. Please circle that phrase. It transcends all understanding. This peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're filling in the blanks, God's peace doesn't make sense. And next, patience. And some of you are like, patience? Why does patience have to be on the list of the fruit of God's Holy Spirit? Can we take a vote on this, right? And I, I just would confess to you that th this is difficult for me, that I, I naturally tend toward impatience or quick, I, I want quick results, and microwave to me feels so slow, and, and, and just there's all kinds of things that, that you know, I, I wish that patience wasn't here. And especially I wish that God didn't have this plan in mind, that the way that he produces patience in your heart and in my heart is he puts us in situations where patience is required. <laughs> I hate that. I'm like, God, couldn't you just download it in me, like just like the Matrix or something? I, I, I just want it, but I don't want to, you know, work for it. Like I, but here's the deal. I want you to think about a situation in your life where you become impatient easily. I'll start. For, for me, if I'm at a, a stoplight, a red light, and it turns green, and the person in front of me doesn't go, I heard an amen over here. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I just, I, I just, it's an ugly moment in the Howerton universe right there. And, and it, where is it for you? You know, maybe it's, it's you're at a counter and the person who's working the counter is moving a little slow. Maybe it's you're trying to teach a child something and it's just not clicking. Maybe it's someone else's uh, stupidity has now impacted your life, and, and there's frustration and impatience. All kinds of ways that, that, that impatience comes in our world. It's hard to be patient toward other people. But now I want you to think about a situation in your life where Jesus has to be patient with you. I'll start. Every single day of my life. See, when we're talking about the patience that the Holy Spirit is developing within us, we're actually talking about the patience that is rooted in the patience that Jesus shows us. And it's in his patience and his graciousness toward us that he uh, provides that character quality within us. And that's the, the fill-in, if you're filling in the blanks. Our patience is rooted in the patience that Jesus has for us. And the next, uh, Paul continues, kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness. And some of you are like, oh, thank God. He's collapsing them together. I love this. I would tell you that these are the things I pray for my own life. I, I want my staff, I want the leaders at Overlake to see these three qualities in me. I want my kids to see them. When my wife thinks about me, I want her to think, oh, he's kind. He's gentle. He's good. These are qualities. And so, the, so I pray for these, and I, I want these, and I would encourage you to do the same. And what's interesting is I've talked to different groups, different leader uh, groups uh, through the years. 
these qualities are sometimes viewed as weak qualities. There are, in our culture especially, there are many people, especially people who think leadership, and I, I like talking to folks who think in leadership terms, but there are people who in leadership terms think that these are not very strong qualities, that they, they're, they're not you know, exactly macho type qualities. I couldn't disagree with that assessment more. Let me just tell you, to be kind when you're free to be rude is power. To be good when you could easily take advantage, that's courage. To be gentle when you have the strength to destroy, friends, that tenderness reflects Jesus like few things else in this world. So yeah, these are incredibly powerful, strong qualities, and I would encourage you to pursue them. And lastly, faithfulness and self-control. And I put them together because they go together. The faithfulness that we have to Jesus, the faithfulness that we, that we pursue in this long development of these Holy Spirit qualities within our lives, that, that it requires a faithfulness, a steadfastness, if you will. And then self-control, that's just personal discipline. So it's that personal discipline that would come alongside, yes, Lord, this is what I want, so I will actually bring my discipline here, and I'll practice what it looks like to live with these qualities, and I'll put in the practice, and I'll build the 10,000 hours, and I'll keep coming back to the Holy Spirit's leadership again and again and again, because this is the the restraints I want to build in my life. This is how I want to experience the freedom and the grace that Jesus has for me. Final question is, how do these qualities get produced in my life? And the answer is, by my cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So I invite him to work. I let him work. I recognize that whatever situation I'm frustrated in, it's not actually about the situation. It's about what the Holy Spirit is producing within me. And so we practice and we practice and and recognize that our practice makes perfect. And so we practice letting the Spirit increase, increase these qualities in our lives. And I would say that this is who we're becoming in Jesus. If you want to know who looks like this, it is Jesus. Jesus is the one with these qualities. And so God is working within us to develop the same character as the character of Jesus Christ. And and you and I, we're not there yet, but the trajectory that we're on, the pathway that we're traveling, it's the pathway becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Paul continues this whole thing. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's what we see. We follow the Spirit's leading, not just in a few parts of our lives, but in every part of our lives. Not just, say, relationally, but not financially. Not just, like, spiritually, but not in terms of my behaviors. Not just with these friends, but not with these friends. The idea is we want to we let the Spirit lead in all areas of our lives. And, and you're not there yet, and I'm not there yet, but that's what the trajectory looks like. That's what the journey spiritually looks like. And again, I just I want to pause and tell you, friends, and this has nothing to do with God's love for you, because he has already settled that issue. His love for you is faithful and unconditional. His grace for you is limitless and covers you. What Paul's talking about in all these things is how we enjoy that relationship, how we enjoy that freedom and steward that grace. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate something called baptism. 
And, and I love when we do our baptism uh, Sundays. I just think it's just an amazing thing that we get to see. And I always get choked up. I'm always sitting here in the front row crying as the folks are getting baptized at Overlake. But there's a couple things that, that I want to point out. And by the way, you'll notice that on the card today, one of the action items is I'd like to be baptized. It's coming up on June 11th. And you're welcome to fill this card out. You can drop it in the bucket as it passes. But let me, let me tell you something about baptism. I think there's a hesitation to pursue baptism sometimes in our hearts because we have this erroneous thought that what baptism means is that I have crossed a spiritual finish line, that actually I have arrived, and so now, you know, I've crossed the line of of perfection in some way, shape, or form, and, and because we know that we're not perfect yet, we're really hesitant to get there. So let me just tell you what baptism is. Baptism is simply saying, as we've talked about this whole series, I believe in Jesus, and I, I have this relationship of love with Jesus, and so I want to journey and grow with Jesus. That, that's what baptism is. It's standing before family and friends and saying, look, I if Paul's right, and we believe Paul's right, then I am a child of God because I believe in Jesus Christ, because I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus is risen and that Jesus is inviting me to have this relationship of love that starts in this lifetime and it's perfected in eternity. That's what baptism is. It's the starting line, not the finish line. And sometimes I think because we're wrong in that, because we think somehow it means I've arrived or I'm somehow perfect, that we're hesitant. And, and I just know many of you, we have these conversations a lot, that there are people who do believe in Jesus, that, that we're surrounded by those. Yeah, I love Jesus, and yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I've not yet been baptized because I know I'm not perfect yet. Well, friends, that's not what we're saying. That's not what baptism is intended to say. We know that we're going to continue to grow in our faith journey. In fact, there's a really cool theological word called sanctification. Sanctification means that we are growing spiritually to be more and more like Jesus. And, by the way, the indication from Scripture is it takes place over the whole course of our lives, and it's perfected in eternity. Paul says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on that day when you stand before Christ Jesus. So it's this amazing, beautiful picture. So I just want to encourage you, if you are a believer and you have not been baptized yet, go ahead and check that box. We'll make sure you get any information you need. We would love to celebrate that with you. Okay. Last thing I want to say is this. I still think that we, we don't fully understand how to enjoy the rich freedom that Jesus offers us. I, I, I still think that we are sipping sort of grace out of teacups when God has oceans and oceans and oceans of it for us. So what I'd like to invite you to do right now is would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. And let's just ask the Spirit of God to show us just a glimpse of how much love he has, how much grace he has, how much freedom we have because we are his children his beloved sons, his beloved daughters, that we are full heirs with Jesus Christ, that this relationship of love we have with the Lord, we do not need to strive at all for it. 
because it is completely bought and paid for through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that these truths resonate deep within us and that we somehow glimpse right now how deep and how rich, how real and how eternal your love is for each and every one of us. We thank you so much that you have settled the issue of your love for us. Lord, we really do want to enjoy the freedom we have in you. We want to enjoy the grace that you cover our lives with. We are so thankful for it. So right now, we ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to work within our hearts, that you would allow us to to understand even more how we are to be led by you, guided by you, that we are set free by you, and we are filled and covered in grace by you. We thank you for all of these things. Now we would ask that you'd show us what it looks like to develop your fruit within our lives. We want to be men and women who are easily on display of your character. We want people to see you when they look at our lives. So would you show us how we might live? We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.